Our scripture reading for today comes from Ephesians chapter 2. I'm reading verses 10 through 22, very famous passage of scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 through 22. Uh, And I do encourage you, if you have um, a Bible with you, to go ahead and open it up, to read along with me um, as I read this aloud. Uh, We believe, of course, these words were penned by the Apostle Paul, but he was doing so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, that we read these things with the same kind of authority as if Jesus himself were teaching us. So let's hear together the word of Christ. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple for the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're finishing up a series today. We've been in the whole month of December that we're calling All Things New. And we've been talking about this idea that you see in several places, all the passages that we've looked at for this uh, series have come, kind of been centered around this one Greek word, kainos, which is translated new, but it's not new in terms of time, like something just happened, something's new. That's the Greek chronos. It's the Greek kainos, which is new in terms of quality. And we, we've been saying that this, this meaning is it's better, it's more whole, it's more complete, it's renewed, if you will. Jesus is making all things whole, all things complete. He's renewing all things. He's not making all new things. He's making all things, all things that exist and all things that have been hurt, tarnished, broken, and cracked by the reality and result of sin. He is making them new. And so we've talked about the new creation. We talked about the new life. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a new man, a new woman, a kinos man, a kinos woman, a, a person that God is renewing. 
and making complete. At Christmas Eve, we looked at the new command that we love one another, not in the kind of worldly sense of marketplace love, loving in order to receive, but loving because we have received, loving as Christ has loved us, loving because Christ has loved us, loving with the capacity for love that we have as people who have been loved by God. But here we see a new humanity. We, we've looked at the new creation, the new life, the new command, but, but this last week, we're going to look at a new people or a new humanity. Jesus is creating, it says in verse 15, one new man. I think a better translation, the, the Greek for man there, anthropos, right? We get the word anthropology. So it's kainos anthropos, one new man, kainos anthropos. I, I think that kind of the better idea here is a new humanity, a renewed humanity, a different kind of human. Uh, we are in our normal humanity, our fallen humanity, our pre-Christ humanity, a type of human being. But really what this is saying is that in Christ, everything changes and we are a totally different type of humanity, a new humanity. So in order to look at this, I, I want to do two things. I, I want to look at humanity and the new humanity. I want to look at just the idea of what is humanity. And then I want to look at this new humanity. So, so let's look at humanity first. I, I like Christmas uh, and this kind of week that we have here between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, because all the news stations, all the newspapers, all the magazines, they oftentimes kind of show like a year in review. You know what I'm talking about? It's like this happened this year and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that, I remember that. They always give the year in review thing. Now, 2020, it's so dramatic. Everything that happened this year was so dramatic. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what these videos are like. I mean, it, everything feels so present in one sense, but it also feels so distant. I mean, this in some ways has felt like the shortest year, but in other ways, it's felt like the longest year of my life. In fact, when I think, golly, February or January, events that happened then, those things seem so far away for me. But one thing that 2020 did, one storyline of 2020, for me at least, that caught my eye this year, and, and I think everybody's, is really just how divided we are how divided this world is. Um, you know, it's interesting, the, the last national tragedy, the major national tragedy that kind of got everybody's attention that I can remember was September 11th. Um, and, you know, at that time, everybody came together. Everybody was united. Uh, George Bush, who was the president at that time, in, in the, the weeks following September 11th, had a 91% approval rating. People were united. They were united around our leaders. They were together. People were very much for one another. Here in 2020, when the pandemic came, we, we only got more divided. We only got more skeptical of one another. Uh, we every little Things like masks or things if people were going to work or not, or things where people were doing this or doing that, everybody looked at each other with a certain sense of skepticism. What group are you a part of? Am I like you? Can I listen to you? Have you been caught up in this thing or not? We became more divided, more disdain for one another. We treated one another with even greater contempt. 
You know, racism is, is one of those things that we as Americans are very proud that we have overcome, quote unquote. But of course, it seemed like a very big issue this year. Even the language that we used to talk about it this year was different. You know, the civil rights movement was all about overcoming class and skin color, not judging the outward man, but looking at the inward man. As Martin Luther King famously said, don't judge a man by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. This is how we believed in the civil rights movement. We were going to bring about justice. But in 2020, so much of what is said about bringing about justice, the way to justice is through understanding intersectionality or critical theory, which is interesting because it's really the opposite ideology of the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement was about not judging someone's outer appearance, but judging the inner man. Intersectionality is really only about judging someone's outer appearance or place in life. And as you would guess, has only created a more and more divided world. A world that immediately looks at this other person with skepticism or fear or disdain. On the other side of the political aisle, you have a Christian nationalism that's kind of sweeping through our country right now. It says that success in the church, success of Christianity, sustainability of these things will be preserved by a particular political candidate or a particular political party. And of course, this can also be incredibly divisive. Even the church is looking at, it, at itself with a certain disdain, a certain skepticism, a lack of humility. We have felt this in a very intense way this year. But I just want to say what we're feeling now in terms of division, it's, it's not new. It's old. This has been around. These things have been around since Cain and Abel. And, and we see that here in the text. Now, there's a case study here. It's not Cain and Abel. It's not Democrat and Republican, Republican, Democrat. It's, it's Jew and Gentile, right? There's two groups here. Look at verse 11. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made flesh by hands. Remember that you were separated from Christ, or you could say it this way, you were alienated from the hope of the Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In the ancient world, there was an incredible distance between the Jew and the Gentile. Now, we can read this passage and, and kind of see in these things laws and covenants, which, of course, I'll have to give you a biblical theology lesson later about how we understand Old Testament law and covenant. But, but what I want to, the point I'm trying to make here is that there was incredible division between these two sets of folks, the Jewish folks and the Gentiles. There was racial division, right? They saw each other as different races. There was religious division, right? Jewish and pagan. Neither were comfortable with the other. Both thought that the other believed in very strange things with very strange ideas. There was political division. They had a very different view of the world. There was great worldview division and both sides looked down on the other, right? Both sides thought that their side was elite, that they were right, and that the other side had totally lost their minds. Sound familiar? feel like how you've seen the world around us right now. It's a very applicable text. 
And again, this is what we always do. This is humanity. (laughs) This is the way humans live. We find our identity. We understand who we are in opposition to other people. In order to have an identity, in order to know who we are, in order to feel a sense of security, I want you to hear this. What humanity does is it finds someone. We find someone that's not like us and we pit ourselves against it. We, we, we anchor ourselves away from them. This is really well illustrated in the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke 18. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, not like them, the unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I am not like them. I fast twice a week. I give tithes on all they and all that I get. God, I thank you that I am not like them. I'm not like these horrible people. I am good. We like having someone to look down on. We like have like we like having someone to be different than. City folk look down on country folk. Country folk look down on city folk. Whites look down on minorities. Minorities look down on whites. They don't get it. They are outsiders. This is humanity. We need someone different to understand who we are. I I don't know if I've said this in a sermon, but I've certainly had this conversation uh, many times, I'm sure with some of you. You know, it's interesting if you compare how divided America, for example, is today compared to where it was 30 or 35 years ago. Uh, You know, like, like, for example, in 1984, Ronald Reagan in that presidential election won 49 states. I mean, something like that happening today is almost politically inconceivable. Barack Obama was a very popular president and in 2012 only won 26 states. Of course, he won the ones with larger electoral colleges. But that's just a very far cry away from from where we were in the 80s. What's happened? Why has America gotten more divided? I'm sure there's many reasons, but one reason, one very important reason is the collapse of the Soviet Union. In the 1980s, there was the Soviet Union. They were out there. We weren't like them, right? They were this godless, they were this, you know, Marxist, horrible communist folk. We were the pure, free-loving, American, God-loving, patriot folk. And there was this divide, not within America, but within America in this outside country. That, that enemy falls apart and all of a sudden Americans, their identity is up for grabs again. They try to figure out who they are. This is humanity. This is what we do. We always do this. We understand ourselves by who we are opposed to, by what we are in opposition with, by who we are better than, and again, this this doesn't always manifest itself in opposition. Sometimes it just manifests itself in position. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this famous essay. We actually looked at it at the very first spotted cow called The Inner Ring. And in the essay, 
C.S. Lewis um, talks about our desire to be in the inner ring, to be in the more exclusive group, to be higher up, right? Or to be closer in to the real decision makers, the, the real people of influence and power, right? We want to be in the inner ring. We want to be able to say, I've made it further than them. I'm not like those people. I'm more successful than they are. We, we find our identity in opposition to other people. And if you're not in the inner ring, right? If you're kind of an outsider, say, I'm not an insider. I'm an outsider, right? Everybody's doing this on both sides. No matter which side of the ring you're on, no matter what side of the dividing wall you're on, we all find our identity in opposition to someone else. And as I said before, this goes back to Cain and Abel. Abel was accepted by God. And you know what? Cain wanted to be. He couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle not feeling so loved and accepted. So what did he do? He, he pitted himself against the opposition. He put to death his little brother. And we've been doing the same thing ever since. This is humanity. But what Jesus is saying here in Ephesians 2 is that he is creating a kainos anthropos, Right? a new humanity, a different kind of humanity, a renewed humanity. So the three things I want to look at about this, and I'll go through these quickly about this new humanity. What is it? What is this new humanity? How did Jesus give it to us? Like, how has Jesus achieved this? And what does he want to do through it? What is Jesus accomplishing through this new humanity? So what is this new humanity? This passage if you read it, it's so leveling. This, this new humanity, we, we don't gain an identity by who we are opposed to. We don't, we don't gain an identity by our position or who we're better than. We gain an identity by being in the right place corporately. It's a fascinating passage. Look at verse 19 with me. It says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, fellow citizens, saints, and members of the household of God, and I love this language, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is an example. You see it at other places in the New Testament, but this is an example of this temple language. And I love it. Here's what God is doing in this new humanity. It, it, when you look at a temple, okay, when you look at a structure, you, you don't look at one brick as opposed to the others, do you? You know, uh, here in the collective, if I were to go outside, I don't say, man, look at this brick. Yeah, this is a, this is a nice brick here. No, I understand the whole structure together. I step back from the whole structure and I say, wow, this structure together is complete. It's doing something. I understand that all of the bricks are important. All the bricks are making up something that is has dignity and worth in it. That's the way you look at a temple. You don't go look at one stone or the other in a temple and say, man, this stone's really getting it done. That's an impressive stone. No, you look at the whole thing. It's a corporate identity. It's a corporate unifier. And there's one architect that's putting all of these stones together. He's putting them all in the right place. And if they're out of place, 
place, the thing doesn't make sense. But if they're in place, then there's some sort of beauty to its cohesiveness. This is, this is what Paul is saying that God is doing. This is what this new humanity is like. Not stones pitting themselves against one another. Rather, stones working together, all called, all collective together to, to bring about this display of God's glory. Brothers and sisters unified together as a part of God's grand design, this temple for God, this dwelling place of God. That's what we're called to be. I was in um, India one time and I was teaching this pastor's conference there in Ladakh, India, northern India, uh, very, very dark place spiritually, but but some people have come to had come to faith in Christ, and I was teaching these pastors how to preach. It was a preaching conference for for several of these Ladakhan Northern India pastor guys, and and there was this one particular guy there, and he was it was hard to miss. Um, his name was Abbas, and he uh, he was kind of tall and kind of lanky. And, uh, but he, you know, he, he couldn't speak any English. He, he couldn't read and he, and he suffered from very severe Tourette's syndrome. In fact, it was so severe that, you know, he would just, you know, make these huge movements with the Tourette's, uh, very, um, uh, disruptive when he would have these things. It was just, you, you just knew a boss was there. Uh, and you know, I, I found myself at times in the conference as I was teaching and a boss would be a little disruptive with the Tourette's. Of course, he had no medication, no means to deal with this uh, horrible disease. Um, I was kind of be a little annoyed by him. Like, look, I'm trying to teach here. I'm trying to help you guys be good preachers. Um, and, you know, he just would have these disruptive things. And so then at the end of the week, I'm trying to teach. And um, or as the week was going on, I, I asked the guys there, I said, hey, how, how did you come to the Lord? How did you come to the Lord? And, and several of them, most of them that I talked to said to me, well, a boss. And I remember being like, that guy, you know, that's the guy that's leading all these people to faith in Christ. They were just, yeah, a boss, a boss, a boss told me about Jesus. A boss led us to faith in Christ. So we get to the end of the week and, and we're going to split the groups up. I was there teaching with another guy. We're going to split the groups up and have these preaching labs. And sure enough, a boss was signed in my group and I got the translator that wasn't as proficient. Uh, and so I'm just trying to teach these guys, trying to build a little sermon with them. I don't know if a boss is getting any of this. He can't read. He can't speak English. He's got these severe Tourette's, but a boss gets up to preach the last day. And man, this guy stands up. Now it's all in Hindi, so I don't understand what he's saying, but he stands up very clearly. He's preaching. Everybody there is just locked in. They're, they're hanging on every word that he says. There's no sign of the Tourette's in that moment. He's just anointed by God. And God is just using this man in this incredible way. And it hit me, man, you know, as as educated as I am, as well-trained as I am, all this investment I've put in to try to become a good pastor, likely a boss will be used in greater ways for the kingdom of God than I ever will. Here I am over here with all the privileges of America. Here this guy is in Northern India and he is this beautiful stone in this temple. Likely a more useful and beautiful stone than I will ever 
be this beautiful stone in the temple that God is using for his glory, and it's all a part of this temple. My brother over there, this unifying work of God, it's taking people from all tribes and tongues and languages and classes and education levels and races and political affiliations and worldview nuance, and he's pulling them all together to bring about this beautiful temple, this beautiful work. This is the new humanity, this kainos anthropos. Do you really believe in this? Do you really operate this way? Do do you see the world like this? Not as something that you're trying to maneuver your way in, find your identity, but as something that God is doing something that God is orchestrating. He's building a temple, a dwelling place for himself through the blood of Christ. Do you see the world like this? It's a temple. Now, what's interesting too is you don't look at, you don't look at one stone over the other in the temple, but if some of the stones are out of place, if some of the stones are struggling, if some of the stones are breaking apart, you know, the whole temple is at risk. And I think this is a good word to us too. You know, especially as a church kind of ending this year, looking into the new year, you know, we're really bearing with one another. Are we really lifting one another up? Are we really looking out for one another? And, and that's usually tough, hard, tedious, long-suffering kind of work, but it's, we're not just one stone, Right? Your life is not just your life. You're a part of this beautiful temple that God is building, that he is putting together. So are you are you willing to repair one another and bear with one another? Or are we really willing to, to, to come alongside uh, a stone of the temple that, that may be a little weaker in order to strengthen it? Because we, we believe in the collective. We believe in what God's doing through the whole thing. I think that's instructive to us as a church. I think that's instructive to us in terms of how we think about the global mission of God. I think that's instructive to us how we think about Christians in the city. Don't you see what God's doing here? It's a new humanity. It's it's a kainos anthropos. It's a different kind of humanity. We don't understand ourselves in comparison to one another. We understand ourselves as people that God is doing something through collectively together. So that's what it is. But, but how did we get it? How, how does Jesus bring about this new humanity? I think the answer here is in 13 to 16. It says, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who's made us both one and he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create himself one new man, kainos anthropos, in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through, listen to this, the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus tore down the dividing wall with his blood He tore down hostility and comparison in his flesh. Now, what does that mean? How does does our hostility toward one another get torn down in the cross, in the flesh of Christ, by the blood of Christ? 
How, how does that happen? Jesus was on the cross. He never sinned. And so how does our hostility, how, how does our brokenness toward one another get torn down in the cross? And this is where you have to understand what Jesus is doing. You see, when Jesus came, he should have felt superior toward us. <laughs> he should have felt superior toward us. After all, he's God. He knows all. He's all powerful. He's all wise. Everything belongs to him, right? He should have come to us with this great position of authority, looking down on us, being hostile toward us. But he didn't come like that. He came as a servant. He came as a humble servant. In fact, he came so humble that he took on the hostility that God should have had toward us. Jesus Jesus invited it to himself. He, he replaced us. He, he, in this, he, he, he brought us back into peace with God. You see, the problem with you and me, I was reading uh, this famous Christian book the other day. It's, it's called The Death of Death and the Death of, and the Death of Christ by a guy named John Owen. And I was moved by one of the passages. It was, it was talking about ends and means. And, uh, Owen was basically saying, you know the problem with us? It's not our ends. It's always our means. Usually you mean to do something that's okay, right? You have uh, an intention that you think's going to work out well, even if it's a bad intention, even if you're doing something bad, usually in your mind, you've justified it, right? In your mind, you're like, no, this is okay. This is good. I mean, even if you're, even if you're like, getting angry with somebody and lashing back on him. It's usually because you feel justified, right? You, they've done something to you. So you're taking justice into your hands. You know, I got a speeding ticket the other day and I was speeding. I was breaking the law. I was, my means were bad, but I had justified it, right? Because I was hurrying to get to a meeting and people were waiting on me and I felt bad for them. So I had all these good ends in mind. I just had bad means. And, and, and basically what Owen says is, in God, the ends and the means, they're always in line, right? His, his, he always knows the means to get, his, the ends that he uh, sets out for are always what happens. He, he always does the perfect thing. He always gets the perfect result, but not us. Our, our, our means are so broken. Our means are so displaced. Our, we we go after the thing we go after the wrong things, but we go after the right things in the wrong way. We are so broken, we're so out of place, and where that that has left us. This is what we call sin: to have the wrong ends and or to go about the right ends with the right with the wrong means. Where this has left us, you know, what's left us? It's left us what Christians call lost. We don't know our place. We were designed to be in the place that God would have us to be. He created us. He put us in his order. He put us in his place. And when we go after wrong ends or right ends with wrong means, we lose place. And so what we do is in order to, to refine the place, to refine an identity, we start pitting ourselves against all of the other lost people out in the world. But what Jesus has done, is he's taken all of our wrong ends, he's taken all of our wrong means, he's taken all of our wrong motives and intentions and actions and thoughts and deeds, and he has taken them on himself. 
and they were put to death in him on the cross. He, he endured God's hatred of our broking, of our breaking his order, and he and and he put them to death in his flesh on the cross, thereby restoring us to God. Thereby, if you're in Christ, putting us back in the order of God. Thereby, if you're in Christ, tearing down the walls of division and hostility in his flesh. In Christ, you can be replaced. And when I say replaced, I mean put back into place, put back into order, put back into your right place with God and with his presence. And there is so much identity there and there is so much worth there and there is so much meaning there. You are a stone in his eternal temple, his dwelling place, God desiring to show the world his glory through you. And this is restored and this is renewed. It's made new. It's made right. The new humanity comes through faith in Christ, comes by looking to Jesus. And so quickly, this gets us to the last point. What is God doing in this anthropos, in this kainos anthropos, in this new humanity? And we see the answer in verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are the workmanship of God. You are the workmanship of God. (laughs) God desiring to work through you as you are in place, as you are in his order with one another, this temple that's his dwelling place. So real quick as we close, kind of this is the last sermon of the year. What a crazy year. I want to give you three really practical things to walk through here. Three really practical things to think about. As you find your place again in God's order, as you understand that you are the workmanship in God of God created in Christ for good works, I want to remind you of that in your home. You know where it's easy to be critical and mean and divisive? You're actually a really easy place um, to to not find yourself as someone who's reflecting God's order, um, not see yourself as someone who's a steward of God's glory, but just to see yourself as someone who's trying to be self-fulfilled by everything around you, is your own home. You have so many expectations for your home. You have so many expectations. This is going to go this way, and it's going to make me happy, and this is going to be like this, and this is going to be like that. And in that kind of way, in that kind of order, you can be incredibly divisive. You can be incredibly hostile to people when they're not serving your order of things rather than finding your place in God's order. And rather than seeing yourself as someone that is God's workmanship in your home, created for good works in your home, created for God to display his glory in your home. How do you see your home? Is it a place where God's glory can be displayed through you? Or is it a place, is it a, is it a place where you receive your own glory as other people serve you and look to you? What about out of the home? I want to say this word to you, and I want to be, I want you to hear me very clearly. 
one of my greatest pet peeves, and and I do this, I'm not I'm not saying I'm guiltless of this, but I I, I so desire that Christ's covenant would not be known as this kind of church. It's idealism without meaningful action. You are God's workmanship, right? You are the ones that God is actually going to display, that he is going to display his glory through. You are his workmanship. But but so many of us are filled with great ideals. The world should be this way. The culture should be this way. It shouldn't be like that. They shouldn't be doing that. It's idealism without any meaningful action. What are you doing to be the workmanship of God? What are you doing to take responsibility for God displaying his glory on earth? You are the workmanship. There's not somebody else that's going to come around and straighten things up. There's not somebody else out there that's going to come out and be a part of thy kingdom come and the reordering of society and the new humanity being known around us. No, you are that person. It's your responsibility. And all around me, among so many Christians, I see massive idealism, massive complaint, massive division, massive hostility toward the outside world with zero meaningful action. You are the workmanship of God. So this year, be God's workmanship. And here's the deal. You know how you get influence? You know how you get influence? You know how you get real influence in society? You do something productive. Go be, go make yourself valuable at your workplace. And you know who will have a lot of say at your workplace? You will. Go start a company. You know who's going to have a lot of say there, influence your company? You will go run for office, go run for school board, go volunteer in the PTA, go do something, go be productive. And through that, as you find your identity in Christ, as you see the stewardship that you have as someone who's been set right by Christ, you will have so much massive cultural influence. You won't want any more. You won't want any more. You are God's workmanship in your home, out of the home, And finally, in ministry, is there anything productive that you're doing in this church, in our city, around the world, that's actually advancing the kingdom of God? You are the workmanship of God. You, if you're in Christ, if you're redeemed in Christ, evidence of that is that you're not living in the old humanity always pitting yourself against the other person. There's a lot of people that call themselves Christians that are just living in the old humanity with a nice Christian label. But evidence of the new humanity is that you see yourself not based on who you are in comparison with the whole world, but you see yourself as someone who has been replaced, redeemed, renewed in Christ. You are living out the order that God has set for your life, using the gifts that God has given you to use to be the workmanship of God for his glory, that it may be displayed on earth. May that be true of us. May this anthropos, may this kainos anthropos be true of Christ's covenant in 2021 for the glory of Christ and for the sake of 
of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this vision that you give us in your word of a new humanity, of a new order. We're not like the rest of the world that's so divided and so so chippy and so uh, and so belittling and so skeptical. We in Christ have been set right. We have we have a we have a bold vision for our future in your coming kingdom that will never end. Our vision for our for our worth and our identity and our existence is so much bigger than anything that the American dream or that post-World War II America or, or that some sort of administration can give us. Our vision is that we are in Christ eternal beings that have been set right and renewed to God. And now we have a stewardship. We've been called to this place as ambassadors to be the temple, to be this visible expression of God's presence, to be the workmanship of God. So help us in this. May we not be a people of idealism without action. May we not hear this and be like the man that looked in a mirror and forgot what he looked like. Maybe with the kind of people that hear this and that are renewed by it and changed by it. So Lord, that we would walk in the works that you have for us and so that you would be pleased with our lives and glorified through them. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. As we close today, uh, Matt's going to lead us in song. Uh, but I just want to invite you. We talked about a lot today. And I would so love to hear from you. Uh, if you, if you want to reach out to me, I am always available. We have our text to pastor line. Uh, you can email me. Uh, you know, most of you have my phone number, so feel free to call me. <laughs> uh, we want to make ourselves available. And if maybe you don't have a question for me, but for Lou or for Blake, one of our other pastors. Uh, we would so love to pray with you, to answer a question for you, to engage with you in a meaningful way. Um, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, but I invite you there in your homes as you're worshiping with us on this last Sunday of 2020 uh, to sing, to worship together as Matt leads us.